Good morning, everyone. I'm Philip Whitehead. I'm executive pastor here at Living Waters Church, and it's a blessing to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. Been looking forward to it, and uh, so let's jump right in as fast as we can. I have a very tightly packed lunch, as uh, Pastor Joel used to say, so we're going to unpack it as quick as we can here and as well as we can. How many of you would allow a doctor to guide your medical health, to prescribe medications for you, uh, to maybe even do surgery on you, uh, even though you knew he'd never been to medical school? No. No, that wouldn't work. How many of you would allow an electrician to wire your house, and you knew for a fact he had never been an apprentice. He had never become a journeyman. He certainly wasn't a master electrician. He had no license to, to wire your house, but would you let him do that? No. I wouldn't do that. How many of you would get on a jet airliner, fly across the country, knowing that the pilot had never even sat in the cockpit of a jumbo jet until that day? He didn't have a license to do it. He'd never trained to do it. How many of you would get on that plane with him? I wouldn't. Those are obvious questions. We would not want to do that. So let me ask you this question. What was Jesus' main work with his 12 disciples during his three and a half year ministry? What was his, what was his all about? Discipleship. He was there to prepare them, to train them, to go to school. He was their rabbi. And he was training them to carry out his mission after he goes back to be with the Father. So hold those questions just a moment. We'll put those off on the back burner just for a minute, and let me tell you a story. In my first year of ministry, I was in a full-time church in Miraville, Tennessee, uh, Blount County. In all of the Association of Baptist Churches, I was in the Southern Baptist Church, all the the Association of Churches had come together and we were going to do a uh, going to do a crusade in the summer. It was in August, and uh, we'd invited evangelists to come. It's a name you know. Uh, it was James Robinson, and James Robinson was a Southern Baptist evangelist at the time, and a dynamic preacher. I can't imagine Billy Graham preaching any better than James did that week. It was marvelous, and a lot of people came to Christ that week during that course of that uh, crusade. We started on Sunday night, and then on Monday morning, uh, James met with the pastors of uh, those churches, and we all gathered at uh, another church, and he spoke to us, and he told two stories that morning that I have remembered to this day, and that was probably in 1977 when I heard that story, and I remembered them to this day, almost verbatim, I've told them over and over again, and I want to tell you one of them right now. The story goes that there was a pastor of a church who had been concerned that he was seeing nobody walk the aisle, nobody respond to an altar call, nobody was baptized in the baptismal pool. They weren't winning anybody to Christ. And this had gone on for years. He'd been their pastor for a long time, and they had seen no one be saved. They had a robust Sunday school, well-attended services, youth 
meetings, all the stuff that goes with what we think of the local church. But no one was being saved. No one was being discipled. No one was coming to Christ. And so it become to a point where he got before God. And he was praying earnestly. And he would pray for days. And he had no answer. But on this particular day, he got on his knees and was asking one more time, God, why is it that we don't see anybody saved in our church? And the answer came very clearly. The, the Lord spoke to him. And he said, it's because... My church is like an incubator. The incubator has to be a perfect environment to hatch chicks and to nurture them and to grow them, to take care of them. And your church is a cold incubator. I'm telling you, that was a powerful story that day. You could hear, just like you, you could hear the groan go through the pastors that heard that story. The rest of the good news of the story is the the pastor began to ask the Lord, what's it take to be a warm incubator? And so that began to happen. The Lord would show him and put those things into place. And in a few months, they started seeing people get saved. God was moving. God was doing a work through that church. But they had to shift some things. They had to do some things to become a warm incubator. Now, I've asked the questions I have this morning, and I've told you the story about the incubator in a way to, to grab your attention uh, and to help you understand God wants to hatch his chicks here. He wants to have us to be that warm incubator. And so all of this is to tell you that the title of my message today is Prepare. Prepare. And that, I think, is the season we are in right now. Uh, we have been praying into this since last year. We've been talking as elders. We have had other people that we've gathered together in, I guess you'd say, private meetings, not private to exclude anyone, but we just felt like God wanted to bring some people together to pray, to talk, to bat this around and say, what, what does God say? And so... My message today is part of our all-in series, and the specific point I want to do, talk about is our time of preparation. So let's look at Jeremiah 4, and we're going to look at the first uh, four verses of this chapter. I think this is going to speak well to my points today. It reads like this, If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And you shall swear, the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. So God is speaking to Israel, and he's asking them to return to him. And if they would, there would be a blessing that would flow beyond their wildest dreams. Verse 3, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah 
and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of your evil doings. Lord, I just ask you to speak to us now in powerful ways. If I say it right, I know you will. Speak to every heart. Move us past where we are today in Jesus' name. The words return to me tell us exactly where Israel is. They're not with God. They're not walking where God would have them. They've moved away from God's lordship, his rulership, his guidance, and his protection. They've drifted as a nation. And folks, when a nation drifts, and America has, when a nation drifts, that means its people have drifted. The individuals have drifted. Many of them have. Maybe not all, but the majority have. And it also indicates, return to me, indicates an invitation from God to Israel. An invitation that extends grace and forgiveness. A chance at renewal and refreshing of their relationship with Him. It encourages them to walk in a level of obedience that allows Him to bless the nations. Notice in verse 2, the nations, actually it says, shall bless themselves. God will, will bring it to pass so that the nations now return to God as well. Israel was to be an influence in the world. And this is kind of where I was coming from in the paragraph in yesterday's church email to you. They were to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. Remember Sean's message last week saying to us, Gentiles in the Old Testament and nations, that's the same thing. Anybody that's not a Jew. They were outside of the chosenness, and so God is going to bless the nations through Israel and be a light to those people. Isaiah 42, 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand. I'll guide you. I'll protect you. I'll I'll lead you, and I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Israel had wandered away from the righteous living and the practice God had expected from them. So much of their daily living now was void of keeping the law and sacrifices and worship. They became aimless and undisciplined in their walk of faith and practice. Actually, they were worshiping false gods. They'd been drawn into that. They had forgotten the God of their fathers. It was as as if their fields, the fields of their lives, were dormant. Now lying as fallow, fallow ground, unplowed earth. Things had seeped into their lives and distracted them and displaced God from being the center of their daily focus. And God admonishes them, break up your fallow ground and sow now in this well-plowed earth. No longer let your spiritual ground, your lives, sit idle and certainly don't wander from me. The potential of what the ground can produce is enormous. They were squandering that potential and they were reaping no blessing. They were distracted by things that the Lord says here. He says in this passage, these are abominations to me. Now, we don't see the outline of what those are here. But for our purpose today, I want to give you this statement. Distractions will displace God's best resulting in disobedience. And 
I don't care if a distraction is sinful or it's bland and it's not really sinful. It's not, it's not immoral. It's not moral. It's just amoral, but it's a distraction. And those things will draw us away from God. And because of that, the potential of our lives is stymied. And we don't bear the fruit God would have us to, do, to bear. Pastor Stephen said for two Sundays in a row, we are farmers. And so for a few minutes, let's think like a farmer. So what do you use to break up fallow ground? What do you use? A plow. When I was in uh, Boy Scouts at 12 or 13 years old, I tried to have a garden and I had no plow. I, my dad told me I could do it with a shovel. Oh, my goodness. I gave up. But you've got to have an instrument to break up that fallow ground. What does plowing do? Plow tears up. It disturbs. It shifts things. It turns stuff upside down. It messes stuff up. It prepares the soil for the planting and it breaks up the dormant soil and disturbs it in a deep way. It exposes rocks and debris that stand in the way of a seed taking uh, root sufficient for fruit bearing. Plowing is preparation. Sowing seed then is the next step. And then nature does what it does and the plant grows. Let's look at that slide. There's four parts to reaping a harvest. We start with the preparation of the soil, the plowing. And then we sow the seed, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then we let nature do its work. And for our purposes today, nature doing its work is the Holy Spirit doing what He does best. Okay? And then harvest. You get to be a part of three of it, three parts. The the third one, though, let nature do its work. You step back. And don't sweat this, whatever you see or don't see. You let God do His work. Okay, so we'll just hold that and we're going to come to that in a minute. A scripture that comes to mind here is 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? And I say it comes to mind. Uh, this came to my mind. This probably didn't come to yours. But while I was preparing, this just popped up. And I'm going, Lord, I don't, I don't get why this goes, but now I do. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And this, this body, spirit, this soul of yours is, needs to be plowed up. Okay? That's, where, that's what I want to say. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, and which are God's. So the point here is Jesus paid a dear price for you with his own blood. That's what it means to be redeemed. Jesus paid for your soul. Jesus prayed for your life. He shed his blood. That was the currency he used to pay for you. And if you have received that exchange, which is, we say is free, and initially it is, you don't have to work for it, but there's, there's a cost, 
We understand that. But because Jesus exchanged himself for you, Paul says here, you are not your own. I am not my own. I want you to say that with me a couple of times. I am not my own. Come and say it again. I am not my own. Are we living like we are not our own? If you belong to Christ, that is the truth. And if you don't belong to him, you should. But you are your own. You're doing life on your own. And you're trying to get through this journey by yourself. If Christ has come, he's with you in it. But he gets to call the shots. Amen? Or oh me. Amen? Thank you. If God says, return to me, what are we to do? We return. If he says, break up this fallow ground, what are you to do? Break up the fallow ground. If he says, circumcise your heart, what are you to do? You're to do that. Now, we're not going to handle circumcise your heart today, okay? But that's a great study. That's a great study. And we'll do... I don't know if we'll ever deal with that, me, but you need to hear it. So let me pause for a moment and use a little different strategy. In our main passage today, Israel is being spoken to by God because of sinful practices. And I do not believe, let me say it again, I do not believe that the purpose of this message today and what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you is because of abominable sin. I know Almost everybody in this room, I can't imagine being sin in your life, such as God would call abominable. But I am confident that if there is a sin problem of any measure, God wants to deal with that. But God will spotlight anything that he wants to say to you today. And yet the lack of full obedience probably in most any instances, instance could be classified as sin. So let's not throw out the possibility that we are allowing distractions, these things that choke out God's work and his potential blessing in and through us, the stuff he wants to accomplish, that that could be called sin. And I want want you to bear that. I'm bearing that. Now, what I'm about to say in this next little bit doesn't describe everyone here. I've been told at times I put a blanket out there and and I need to make sure that doesn't hit everybody. So, but I'm going to say it like the Lord had had me put it down. And, And if it's not you, it's not you. Okay? What are we focused on in our Christian walk? Let's say we're living our lives in Christ. We're making every attempt to walk upright before Him. We read our Bibles, we pray, we worship, we attend church. Many of you serve in church. Some of you serve outside of church. We're living as best we know how in our relationship with God through His Holy Spirit, by His power. And I want to illustrate that by the following slide. And I'm calling that the righteous living list. All right, do we have that? Yeah, great. This is kind of where our focus has been as believers. 
and as a church. These are good and wonderful things. But there are other things that need to be in our focus, in our sights. So I'm going to add another list. It's called the, I call it the kingdom builder list. And we know this portion of, you know, the Christian walk is the Great Commission. When I was in Southern Baptist, I heard the word Great Commission until I didn't want to hear it anymore. It's like it became... It was just... You're on peanuts. But that's what it is. And these are the last words of the, that Jesus said to the disciples, so I think we should pay attention to them. But he prepared them to be seed sowers, harvest reapers, and disciple makers. These things must be equally in our minds and hearts as we walk life's journey. To live righteously as Jesus would have us to is really about me. That's about me. And then to be a kingdom builder is about others. Wouldn't you agree? So the righteous living list has been a lot of focus for us. But here's what I think has happened, does happen. It's no fault of really anybody's. It's just the way it tends to go. And I've set this up. I want you to look at the screen right now. Just watch the screen and watch what happens. We know it's there, but it goes out of focus. And it's not clear, and we forget about it. It gets dust on it. Now, our series of messages in these weeks, right now, don't miss them, will be to put the kingdom builder's side back in focus and to keep both of them front and center of our mission at Living Waters. That's one of the things that I think means by all in. Everything is now part of what we're doing. We're not going to leave something out. We say we're full gospel. Let's be full gospel. For us, 40 years ago, full gospel meant filling of the Holy Spirit, right? Now in this season, I'm saying it needs to be probably some other things, although we are still... Wanting to walk in the power of the Spirit. You can't do kingdom building unless you have the power of the Spirit. So from this day forward, Pastor, I think I understand this. Steve, oh, I'm looking right at you. From this day forward, we will not focus on one to the exclusion of the other. Am I right? In fact, we may focus for a little while on kingdom building just to adjust the weak side. If you've had a child, maybe some of you have, have a child that had a weak eye, what does the optometrist do? He puts a patch over the strong eye and so that weak eye will work and, and work and, and, and give effort to become a strong eye. And once it's balanced out, then he can open up those eyes and both can see. And oh my, that's amazing. All in is what we also, another definition of all in is we, we want you individually to embrace this. I want all of you to do it. Not 
not 50%. I want everybody to embrace what we're talking about here. We as pastors and elders and staff, I've told you this, we've been, we've been discussing this for a long time. So we didn't come to this yesterday. And thirdly, all in for us means that everyone pursues this with passion, zeal, fervor, faith. We've all heard the saying, faith comes before feeling. And as you sit here today and listen to me, it might be that you're going, I don't know what you're going to ask me to do here. Well, you're going to change this up on me. Don't worry about that. Make that voice go away. God's best is before us. And it may take some plowing up some fallow ground, but I'm telling you, it's going to be good. In my opinion, it's going to be like revival to us. I believe it's going to be like a, an outpouring when God is moving in these areas. Now, occasionally we'll have somebody say to us something like this, and this sounds very King James. They don't say it this way. They go, they, they'll say, hath God said? Did God really tell you all to do that? If the Bible says it, Listen, if the Bible says it, you don't need a rhema word from God to do it. Okay? I have, I have agreement on that, don't I? If the Bible says it, does the Bible tell us to be kingdom builders? John spoke to that in huddle this morning when we were praying in the dream team about being kingdom builders, and he didn't know my sermon. Let me respond to Dolores' comment. Yes, there's, there's rest for the weary. And I don't believe God wants to put us through the grind. That is not what, we're at, what He's going to do. I believe this will be a refreshing thing if we just trust. God will lead us. If you get into the grind of it, you're in the wrong side. You're doing it wrong. So, just Relax. And say, Pastor, I'm in. I often pray this. Father, I'll do it in the mornings. And sometimes I do it in groups. Before I know what you want me to do today, I want you to know right now my answer is yes. Before I ever hear the first instruction, my answer is going to be yes. So that's where we need to be. So let's continue with our passage we're going to go to verse 3. It said to, to plow up your fallow ground. And then it said to don't sow your seeds among thorns. Now, when we first hear that, we might think of the parable of the sower who describes the various types of soil. And one of those are the, uh, the thorns and the weeds where the seedling does germinate. It grows up just a little bit, but then the weeds choke it out and, and results in no harvest. I don't think that's exactly what we're looking at here, although it's similar. Once the farmer plows his ground, then he comes back and he sows the seed. Why would he take his precious seed and plant it on ground he has not plowed? He wouldn't do that. He would want, I think, to carefully put his seed into the earth that he had just prepared. It would seem foolish to take the time and energy to plow the field and then cast the seed irresponsibly. 
So what is the seed here? For me, I think it's the, our time. It's our talents and gifts. It's our treasure, our money. It's our energy and strength. It's your passions. It's what you live for. Why would we plow up and disturb life and then squander our seed? If you get, begin the work of uh, letting the Lord plow your life open and seek Him about this challenge that, that I'm giving you today, that I think He's giving you, don't be careless now with your time. Don't be careless with your gifts and talents. Don't be care, careless with your treasure, your energies. In the movie The Chosen, Jesus uh, is talking to one of the potential disciples, and I think it's Nathaniel. I could be wrong. It's been few weeks since I saw that episode, but Nathaniel comes to him and he believes it quickly. When Jesus told him, I saw you sitting under the tree, he's like, oh, you are the Messiah. And, and in the movie, Jesus goes, oh, is that all it took to get you to believe? Is that all it was? I think Jesus felt there's a little bit of too much quickness in Nathaniel to 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 receive, to believe. He wants faith, of course. But at some point, Jesus says to Nathaniel, uh, hey, bud, I just need you to know this. Uh, I'm probably going to ask you to do some very difficult things. There's going to be some hardship. There's going to be some trials. It's not all fun. He didn't say that, but he said, and then he said, are you willing to do that? And here's what I saw in the movie. Nathaniel had been attracted to Jesus. He knew this man was the king of kings. Did he know everything about him yet? No. But he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the Messiah we've been praying about all these years. And he didn't care at that point what the cost was going to be. That's the attitude of our hearts. It should be. That no matter what God asks of us, all we want to do is be with the Master. We want to be on the journey with Him and no one else. So let's purpose in our hearts that we will work with the Holy Spirit to plow up fallow ground. And in doing so, we prepare our hearts for a harvest. We let the Lord speak to us about the changes in our lives that need to happen. What's going to, He's going to deal with me over. He's not going to deal with you over. It's going to be different. But we allow Him to show us new daily patterns, new habits, different focuses. And as that plowing of our lives continues, we will allow Him to show us where to sow the seeds of our time and our giftings and our resources and our money. Where to place all these things. And we'll refuse to cast our seed into thorny places that will bear no more fruit. So there's some lessons I want to bring to your attention from this section about three things. Number one, if our focus has been out of balance and somewhat on ourselves, it's time to change it and to strengthen that which is weak. If it's time, number two, to change, if that's true, then that can be described as breaking up fallow ground. And the potential blessing, what that ground can yield, 
That is the fruit born out of your life that's lain dormant too long. So begin to prepare for a harvest that God wants to bring both to you personally and to his kingdom. Get out your own plow and say, God, take it and plow up my life. And number three, when the time comes for sowing seeds, sow them wisely, sow them carefully, sow them strategically. Don't waste the precious seed and thusly have a poor or no harvest. Be all in with the process of plowing and sowing. This is your preparation. Let's move on to Luke 9.62. It's amazing the pieces the Lord brought to me for this message today. I'm, I was, I'm always in awe of how He leads us. Luke 9.62, Jesus is saying, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I love reading the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary. When I'm preparing, I usually go there. I go to Matthew Henry. Very old commentary, but it's amazing. Jameson Fawcett Brown had a, had a line that I loved, and I'm going to put it on the screen for you. It says this, The expression in, in this passage, Jesus talking about looking back, the expression looking back has a manifest reference to Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife? It's not actually a return to the world, but a reluctance to break with it. So what Jesus is saying here, there's a potential for you to look back. And the plowman in, in his illustration doesn't really take his hands off the plow, but his focus is not on what's in front of him. The focus is on what's behind him. And I had about four things that were possibilities of what's behind that we could get distracted with. Uh, I've edited those out because I think there are other things I need to say and my time will go too quickly. Why would we look back? Maybe not to go back to a world of sin, but we might go back to a world of comfort. We might go back to a world of what we know because what's out there, we don't, we don't know that yet. So we're reluctant to break with the old to embrace the new. And that's not what God wants. If you're going to put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Three things I want you to see in this. Number one, admit that we, as followers of Christ, have more to do. Paul says, I haven't already attained to these things. Hey, you've heard the old expression, you ain't done till you're done. And we're not done. 
He says, I don't mean that I am already as God wants me to be, and I'm using the new uh, century version here a little clearer. I don't mean that I'm already as God wants me to be. I've not yet reached that goal, but I continue trying. I'm trying to reach it and make it mine. God just wants us to try. And I believe he'll give us the blessing. Secondly, we're to press on. The first step to pressing on is to forget our past and put a foot out there and take charge. Go for it. Lay down what is behind. Don't look back. Look forward. Reach forward. Lean forward like a runner who is trying to break through the finish line before anybody else. My wife is sitting back there. You remember Jim Risley from Farmdale? Jim Risley sold furniture at Penny's department store somewhere out in the outer loop. He was one of our most faithful men. He was an evangelist. And if you saw Jim anywhere, anywhere, anytime, you say, how are you doing today, Jim? He'd say, I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. He said it every time you ask him how he was. He didn't tell you how he felt, didn't talk to you about his health. He just said, pressing on. And we knew what he meant. I'm following Jesus today. I'm giving my best today for what Christ wants me to do. And let me tell you, that man won people to Jesus. He was electric. He's about that tall. Bald head. But he was fun. He could make you laugh. He was easygoing. He wasn't a stick in the mud. He was just after people's lives for Jesus. Let's be a Jim Risley. Amen? Let's press on. And then I love this third point. Lay hold. I love this. Paul says, I lay hold of that which Christ has also laid hold of me. Has Jesus laid hold of you? Has Jesus laid hold of you? What did he lay hold of you for? Whatever that is, that's what you're to be laying hold of. That's what you're to be pressing toward. And it's righteous living and it's kingdom building. That's why he paid his, the price for you. That's why he did it. And that's what we're to lay hold of. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 18 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this reflects the same thing we just read in Philippians. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He laid hold of you by reconciling you to God by his precious blood. And now he's requiring of us to take that ministry and bring others into that reconciliation. That's our job. That's our job. I'm saying today, let's be all in in this. Old things are passed away. I don't care what yesterday looked like for you. If it's wins and losses, if it's the good or the bad, sickness or health, accomplishments or failures, there's, there is to be a focus on new things, on 
the things God has for us in the future. And I'm encouraging you today to go for it. Isaiah, I think this is 43, 18 to 19. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm going to do a new thing. Can you recognize it? That's what he says. Shall you not know it? Can't you see it? Will you see it? Will you see it? Open your eyes. I'm doing something. Let it spring forth. I'm going to provide a road in the wilderness for you. Don't look out there over that desert and worry that you're going to die in it. You won't. I'm going to put streams in the desert for you. I'm going to take care of you. When God brings a new challenge to our lives, it doesn't matter what age we are, what season of life we say we're in, what our financial condition is, what our education is, what our past accomplishments are, or any of those things. When he says go, we say, I will go. When he says move, we say, I will move. And when he says follow, we say, I will follow. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. All your ways are good. All your ways are I've never plowed with a hand plow. I've seen it done. Especially one that's pulled with an animal. But I believe it's safe to say that guiding that harrow through the soil takes quite a bit of strength. You do that all day long, you're going to be tired. But here's the beauty part. Again, I, I refer back to even Dolores' word this morning. The horse you see in that picture up there represents the Holy Spirit. 
If you're trying to push that plow through the dirt, you're going to be worn out. Let the Holy Spirit pull the plow. You just put your hands to it and guide it and walk with it and let God do His work in you. Let's set our hearts and our minds and our passions and our desires on this mandate from Jesus to His church. We are to go into the world and make disciples. This is work, plain and simple. To pretend otherwise is unfair to ourselves and those we seek to persuade and motivate. And we have some preparations to do. I want Living Waters Church to be a warm incubator. Number one, here's what we're going to do. The good Lord willing, if you're all in, Pray for ourselves to be changed from complacency to energized disciples with a new motivation to obey the Great Commission. Number two, to pray that the Holy Spirit give us His compassion for people who are far from God. Now, I see a lot of note takers. This is going to go too fast for you to write this down. I will, I will make this available for you later. Just, I just want you to hear it. I'll make it available. I promise I will. Begin to see, number three, begin to see those around us through different eyes, through the eyes of Jesus. Number four, learn some simple simple and essential scriptures that we can use to share the gospel with those to whom we converse. I have right here a little Bible. Several years ago, somebody put me onto this, and I've used it some. I, I I let dust get on it and set it aside. This little Bible is about the size of a checkbook. And uh, it doesn't say Holy Bible on there. It does say it on the spine, but it doesn't say anything. If you just laid it down on the table while you were having coffee with somebody, they, they wouldn't know that's a Bible. It doesn't look like a Bible. And so, the guy that trains with it, I, I typed off the questions that you would try to start a gospel conversation. Now, in our, one of our meetings one night, Brandon Watkins was with us, and he says, uh, he said, I don't believe most people know how to start a gospel conversation, how to even have one. And he said, I'd be happy to teach that if you, if you need me to. So here, here's some things like this. Do you have any kind of spiritual belief? So you could ask that to somebody. That's non-threatening. What spiritual belief? That's just so nebulous now in, this, in the world. But it would help define where they are. They might say, no, I don't have anything like that. Or they might say, yeah, I, I believe in... A God, but I know there's a ton of ways to get to him. You can pick one. Or like a friend of my wife's, who she's been praying for for years, she says, I just take a little bit out of Jewishness and Buddha and Christianity and the Catholic Church. I just put my own together. Um, To you, who is Jesus? Uh, If you died right now, where would you go? What would happen to you? So after you've had a little conversation, if they seem interested, then you open the Bible and you you, you have prepared this little Bible. So you highlight uh, a verse down here. Uh, it starts with uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you open the Bible and you slide it across the table to them and say, uh, and that's the only thing on the page that's highlighted. That, that, they have to see it. You shove it across. My only problem is too small. Uh, 
you, you, then you say, would you read that out loud to me? Just read that out loud. And the guy who trains with this, he says, they've never said the Scripture in their life, maybe. They've never said the Bible. And when they confess God's Word, it's a very powerful thing. Because we know it's alive, sharper than a two-edged sword. Pierce, your, it pierce into the marrow of your bones. So they, they read that. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And then you say, what does that mean to you? And they go, uh, and so whatever they say, uh, I don't know. Or, well, I guess it means everybody's a sinner. Just whatever they say, you don't correct it. You just let them say it. Because you're trying to find out where they are. What do they understand? What's the revelation they have? At the top of the page, in very light pencil, and upside down, you have Romans 6.23. So you're pushing this across the table, and if you forget where you got to go, you just look down and get Romans 6.23. So you find that, and you hand that to them. And on Romans 6.23, it has, uh, this is what he teaches you to do. It has, for the wages of sin is death, gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have to circle the word sin and the word death and the word in. Not even Jesus, just in. And so those words are circled to get their attention. And that way you can have a conversation. It goes through six verses of Scripture with that right there. What a tool. What a tool. And you could take somebody out to lunch, breakfast, whatever, over to your house and have a conversation. And you're looking for the moment. You don't have to do it the first time, but you're looking for the moment you have a gospel conversation. And this could be, this, there's, there's myriad of ways to do it. Learn to draw a diagram on a napkin. There's all kinds of ways to do it. But we've got to be a kingdom builder. And listen to this. I learned this about three or four years ago. I never thought of it this way. Discipleship begins with the first conversation you have with them. That's where discipleship starts. It doesn't start after they become a Christian. It, become, it starts when you introduce them to Jesus. And who knows, that person might be a person you would take through years of discipleship. And there's more to come, more details on that later. The other one is polish up your testimony to use in a sharing the gospel. We've all heard this before. Your testimony is one of the most powerful things you can tell because nobody can take that away from you. That's you. And so you need to have a short version and you need to have a long version. So you can tell more details if you have time. Uh, fifth one, seek out an accountability partner. Someone to share your experiences with. Someone to pray for you. I, I would encourage you this week, if you buy into what I'm saying to you today, I want some of you to call somebody else in the church and say, would you be that partner Philip was talking about with me? Get them before somebody else does. You could have, you could have three of you get together. Just say, hey, I've, I've got this person that's been on my radar. God showed me I need to have a conversation with them. Would you pray about that? Ask God to set that up for me so that I, I can step into that. And then lastly, truly believe and act upon the fact that the discipling of others begins with hearing the gospel and accepting Jesus' for gift. Act on it. Start working it out. Preparing for the harvest is necessary and needful. To be ill-prepared is a recipe for losing whatever harvest we have or having none at all. 
Isaiah 28, 24. I'm rounding third base. I do promise that. Isaiah 28, 24. And I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation because it's so much clearer. Does a farmer always plow and never sow? Is he forever cultivating the soil and never planting? God is saying to the prophet Isaiah here that this one single effort of plowing will not yield harvest. Um, Amber, would you go back to the or go to the bottom and just put up the put up the title slide one more time? You know that's a beautiful field. If you're a farmer, you you'd, you'd stand back and go. That looks pretty nice. If there's nothing planted there, is that going to feed his family? Nope. It's not going to feed his family. Not going to not going to make him any money. But it's pretty. He spent a lot of time. Every every furrow is straight. It's gorgeous. Acres there. There's just acres of land. That's been prepared. All right, now take us back to the scripture, please, ma'am. It has to be a complete and timely process to plow and 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 not sow any seed. It's a foolish activity. So let's make application of the concept of preparing for God's harvest. Number one, is our equipment sharp, strong, ready for the rigors of working in the fields? Have we prepared ourselves? Do we know some of those scriptures? Do we have a plan? Have we prayed up? Are we living in a way such that God can use us? Number two, do we have the information we need in understanding the processes involved in reaping a harvest? Uh, Talk to Mike Ellis. I've had a number of conversations with him about his back when he was farming, did you know he could plant he could plow a field or spray a field by a satellite? He he didn't even have to touch the steering wheel on his tractor. It would plow the field on GPS and spray the field. It would actually cut off the nozzles that went out too far because it, it had been tracked and it was it's complicated farming right there. In Jesus' day, it was plowing, <laughs> sowing, let nature do its work, harvest. That's, ours, this is not complicated. It's not complicated. It should be easy to do. But we, we need to understand, how does God work with people? What's going to happen if I ask them to... I had a man sitting on my couch years ago. He was my next door neighbor. And he, he had to come down here to bring me something. I was buying some insurance from him. And I, I, I said... I've been wanting to talk to you about this. We'd had lunch together several times, so I'd built up a relationship, and I now bought insurance from him. I said, would you mind if I just walk you through a few things out of the Bible? He said, sure. I walked through it, got to the end of it. I thought it went well. He was, he was like, yeah, yeah. I said, is there any reason why you would not want to ask Jesus into your heart today? Would you like to be saved today? And he said, mm, Brother Philip, he, call, he calls me Brother Philip. He goes, Brother Philip, not today. Not today. Okay. Do I panic? Do I panic? Uh, 
Do I, do, do I know enough about how Holy Spirit works on people to worry about that? No. I'm not going to pressure Him. I'm not going to squeeze it out of Him. It'd be false if I did. So, do we have the information, the understanding of planting and harvesting? Here's one other illustration. I'm, I'm going over my time. Listen. Green Acres is the place to be. Farm living is the life for me. Oliver Wendell Douglas. Anybody know that name? I don't remember what his wife's name was. Oliver left Manhattan. He was a big, big time lawyer. He decided he was going to go to Hooterville, Kansas. He bought this dilapidated old farm from Mr. Haney. And he thought he was going to have this gorgeous farm. It's what he planned to do. What? Everybody, he was a laughing stock. Why? Because he didn't know anything about farming. Everything he did turned to dust. To nothing. He didn't have, remember what his corn looked like? Oh, nothing. Let's don't be Oliver Wendell Douglas. God wants us to know how to do this. It's time to prepare. Number three, are we committed to the entire harvesting process? Will we be a fair weather farmer or will this preparation season just wear us out? It's going to get too hard. Possible setbacks, obstacles, and perhaps disappointments cause us to give up too easily. Will we invest our lives now that we know it needs to come back into focus? Will we do this and invest ourselves into the harvesting process? Final five points. Pray for your own heart to embrace a new purpose and a new focus and the will to let God break up this fallow ground. Start plowing and reaping to sow for a harvest. Take me back. I meant to say this a while ago. Take me back to the title page one more time before I move on. Go back to the title page. If the farmer doesn't plant a seed, if he doesn't sow that field right there, what will it be like in a year from now? What will it look like? It will be covered with weeds. And what has been plowed will be beat down by the rain and it will be fallow ground once again. It will be just impacted and he'll have to start all over. I say, no, God, not here. Not here. The field, our hearts are going to get plowed up. They're going to get disturbed. God wants to do something through us. So pray for your own heart to embrace this. Number two, once you start the preparation, don't look back. Don't get distracted. Distractions will displace God's best, resulting in your disobedience. Number three, preparations are for a season. Don't get stuck in the plowing. Don't see it lasting a long time. The fields are ripe. We need to get out there. Number four, find someone to walk with you. 
Jesus sent the original disciples out two by two. It's not intended to do solo. Number five, set your heart. And I want you to look at that phrase that's on the screen right now. I used it one day. I wrote that phrase in a devotion morning in my devotions in my journal. And I used it one day in the 12 days, uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. John Carmichael was in the building. He was on the call, but he was in a different part of the building. And he came straight to my office as soon as we signed off. And he goes, Pastor Philip, that last quote was awesome. Where'd you get that? And for a moment, I thought I'd plagiarized it. But I looked back and I didn't. That came out of my own pen. Stand to your feet right now. Stand to your feet right now. Please. Church, Living Waters, look up here. Put that back up there. I need to read it. Refuse to perpetuate a no-harvest culture and prolong the famine of souls. I say yes to that. Anybody else? Raise your hand. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to perpetuate a no-harvest culture and prolong the famine of souls we have been in. I say, church, be all in. Be with you, my.